So Adam Levine had to kick him out of Maroon 5 just as they were becoming super famous. Ouch. Is that kind of how it happened there, Ryan? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it wasn't really my choice, I suppose. Yeah. I was a founding member of the band. I was in the band for over a decade. Um, and just as the album Songs About Jane was taking off in uh, 2005, six around there, uh, I was having a breakdown, really, on the road, touring for three, four years straight. And uh, it just came. Wow. It, I just couldn't play anymore. You were on the road for two or three years straight, no breaks. Yeah, well, 2002 and three, we played uh, over 500 shows in those two years alone. And that was just on the way up, you know, touring around the States and building up a following and getting to the place where we had a moderate hit. And then in 2004, five, it became, you know, an international major hit with uh, the, the singles, This Love and She Will Be Loved and Sunday Morning and um it was a wonderful time in a lot of ways but it was also a really trying time to be you know under that level of pressure uh with some you know issues that i've been dealing with that i wasn't even really aware that i had these issues and they started to manifest with sort of physical issues at the time you know i had a a shoulder injury and i started having nerve problems performing on the drums uh in retrospect i i can recognize that there were mental health issues that were going on like what kind of mental health issues? Well, you know, I'd always been sort of an anxious kid. Um, I put a lot of pressure on myself, very perfectionistic and um, kind of obsessive compulsive. Um, and uh, it, it was it was just kind of like internal pressure that was meeting up with the external pressure of all the uh, demands of touring for that long and all, everything that came with it. Um, and it just became sort of like, I, you know, the imposter syndrome that you feel when you feel like you're not up for a task, even though we'd worked for a decade. And, of course, we deserved to be there and knew that we uh, we deserved to be there. But uh, in, inside, I just kind of felt like there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't going to be able to hack it. Uh, and that was really taking a toll on me, uh, both mentally, emotionally, you know, and, and then physically, uh, because every night it was like, is tonight the night? that I'm not going to be able to hack it. Wow. Yeah. Well, you grew up with Adam Levine, right? You guys were great friends, and then you decide to start a band together, and you work and work and work, and then now, you know, you're playing at a party at Prince's house. Is that (laughs) where where you're like, hey, man, this is... This is really going somewhere. Yeah, kind of surreal. Yeah. What was that like being at a party at Prince's house? What's his house like? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a trip for sure. We, you know, that was in the middle of everything when we were winning Grammy awards and and we had a multi platinum album and uh, you know we just played on like Saturday Night Live and done all that stuff. And, Who hosted? Uh, uh, Christina Aguilera. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, so she so, perfor- she so then she performed with you, right? Uh, no, not at that huh. time. She was just the, the host. And uh, I think she sang a song in the opener, but then we were the musical guest. Okay. Wow. It's all you guys. Yeah. So then uh, we got invited to Prince's house for, actually twice we went to Prince's house. Um, the first time, I think it was a r- relatively smaller affair, but it was a pretty cool, cool crowd. He had a band right in his living room. And I got to watch Prince, you know, rip a guitar solo right in his living room. Nice. <laughs> Man. That was pretty awesome. The second one was uh, like a, a post-Oscars uh, party that was all A-listers. That, and I was 
you know, dancing with like Justin Timberlake and Usher. That's <laughs> and, weird. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's and a then it was moment. like on stage they they had like um, I, I mean Prince was up there with with JT and uh, Matthew McConaughey was on the conga drums. <laughs> well, he likes so conga drums. Usually, like usually naked though when he's playing them. Right. Well, we couldn't get him to stop. He just kept playing, and the uh, except except for when the, uh, the tequila shots were coming around. That's the only time he would stop. That's wild. <laughs> if you think about it, you just look around the room. And yeah, it's... it's a who's who. Yeah, yeah. It was it was awesome. I mean, there was a lot of Oscar winners. Leonardo DiCaprio was there. Uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, Selma Hayek, just like every face. It was like a wax museum in there. Wow. I read in your book that uh, DiCaprio actually. Um mistook someone that was there at the party for Carly Simon. Oops. Oh yeah. 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 Well, that was a funny story because uh, I, I hadn't met him before, but he, Leo had come to one of our shows early on when we were just on our way up at the, the Troubadour in LA. Um, and we had this little weird run in him with my mother. He was sitting next to my mom at the balcony and they had a little scuffle, I guess, about seating because he came in at the last minute and was trying to shove my parents over to sit down and ended up flipping off my mom. Really? He <laughs> yeah. flipped off your mommy. Oh, wow. That's your pound face. Not cool. Yeah, don't do that. So that was a story that we were telling on the road for a long time <laughs> uh, because it was just, people would always ask us, do you know any celebrities in Hollywood? And that was just a funny story. But I guess the story got back to him, and he thought I was really pissed at him. Uh-huh. Uh, so, <laughs> so he came up to me at that party right after coming from the Oscars, and he came over to me. He's like, apparently I flipped off your mom? <laughs> and I was like, you did, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. And he was like very apologetic and very, they seemed very sincere. He's like, I love moms. I love my mom. I'm sure you love your mom. And I was like, it's cool, man. I was, it's just, it was funny. It's just a fun story. Yeah. Yeah. So then later in the night, uh, you know, everyone was pretty drunk at that point. And, um, and, and Joni Mitchell walks in. Oh boy. <laughs> Who is, uh, yeah. you know, not someone you expect to see anywhere, you know, let alone at Prince's party. Um, and we were in earshot of uh, Leo and his friends, and he got all excited. And he's like, oh, my God, did you see who that is? That's Carly Simon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, it's Carly Simon. Yeah, why don't you go flip her off? <laughs> <laughs> she likes that. Go flip her off. Watch. <laughs> So I thought that was pretty funny. What a wild uh, place to be in your career. Seriously. Uh, Ryan Dusick. Do I spell, do I pronounce it Dusick? Dusick. It's Dusick, but you can say Dusick, whatever you'd like. Dusick. It's just going to make the montage of me mispronouncing celebrity names. Yep. Founding drummer, Maroon 5, therapist, speaker, and author now. Um, The book is called Harder to Breathe, a memoir of making Maroon 5, losing it all, and finding recovery. So did you get a chance to perform with Prince or talk to Prince at that party? I didn't perform with him. Uh, I met him. Yeah, we had run into him at a couple events before that. Um, And at that point, I don't know if he knew who we were really or if he was familiar with our record. But I guess at some point we got on his radar, and so he invited us to his his party. And when we got there, uh, we kind of were just milling about. And then finally he had someone come over to us and said, would you like to meet Prince? And we said, of course, we'd like to meet Prince. So we actually got 
brought over to him as if he were like you know a, royalty a Don or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's his place. So uh, Michael like that, Jackson yeah. would do that. There would be a whole presentation if you were about to meet him. Yeah, he typically right. be behind closed doors, and you know it's this whole thing, and then the doors open, and then there he is standing. It was, was like, very yeah into that whole royalty thing. Oh yeah. So is that how you? If th- is, that's kind of how it unfolded with Prince. Yeah, essentially, I mean, he, he was, it was interesting to watch him because it was a party at his own house, but he didn't really, like, mill about with his guests. He kind of just kind of hung around the perimeter and watched and kind of, like, uh, he would, like, direct things. You know, he'd, point, he'd, like, point to the band and tell them to, like, you know, take a break or take a, take a solo. Or, and then he, was, he would just invite people over to or have his people invite him over to the corner to, to speak with someone one-on-one. That's interesting. So wow. he, he liked watching people have fun, but he yeah. maybe he was just awkward, didn't, you know, shy. Yeah. Like, not yeah, going to dive in there. Yeah. And I think he also just, like, he liked being the, the sort of the MC or the, the director of everything, uh, just, but, but not in the middle of the action. So when you met him, what, how did that go? So they walk you over there and... Kiss a ring or something. Well, we just like shook his hand. We each shook shook his hand. Yeah, it was kind of one of the like kiss the ring kind right. of moment. Yeah. And um he was very, very um complimentary. You know, he he liked our record and uh it, that's a weird position to be in with somebody who's a hero of yours. Yeah. You know, to be complimenting you. That's not what you expect to happen. Yeah. That works. Jimmy Page said that to you too, right? That he's a fan of the band. Yeah, that was that was a real trip because you know, Prince, I, I could sort of understand because our music was at that point in our development pretty heavily influenced by Prince and yeah. Michael Jackson and that kind of stuff. But you know, I had been a huge hard rock fan, Zeppelin being sort of the pinnacle of that. Um, but I didn't expect you know Jimmy Page to be a fan of Maroon Five. But we were performing at a at Clive Davis's Grammy party. Wow! And uh, that was a big event. Wow! Another big event. Where yeah. were you in your albums at that point? Uh, we were, this was probably 2004 or five. So we were, you know, right at the point where we were, we, we were a big buzz band. You know, we had, we'd become really big in England as well as in, uh, in the States. And, um, and we played like two songs and it was just this love and harder to breathe, I think. And then we were sitting at our table afterwards and a, a nice British gentleman came over and said, uh, would you like to meet? Uh, Mr. Jimmy Page. <laughs> it's weird yeah. how they yeah. just won't walk over. Yeah, it's always somebody else. Say, hey, how you doing? We'll go between. I guess because it could be awkward or whatever, and it's like, well, I don't want to bother that person. It's funny. You think it's Jimmy freaking Page. You could walk up to anyone, but yeah. in his mind, he's like, oh, I don't want to bother them. Right. Ask them if they'd like to meet me, and then I'll meet them. Okay. In my mind, assume. it's such a weird world of like celebrity and like, uh, what if they go over and the person doesn't recognize them? You know, so maybe they need someone to go over and be like, hey, Jimmy's going to come over and say hi. Maybe I don't know. I'm having a moment with my friend. Who knows? Yeah, what is going on over there? Right. And then they have a bad Jimmy Page story. Exactly. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, you can't allow that to happen. (laughs) Yeah, no. But I think a lot of these rock stars are more shy than you. And we think. That's Definitely. usually the reason why they become rock stars. Yeah. yeah. That's how they express themselves. So I'm guessing you said yes. Yeah, we said yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll go. <laughs> yeah. And it was another moment when it was it was very trippy because he said, oh, man, I love your record. I'm a big fan of that album. And, you know, you just, you're prepared to meet your hero maybe at some point in your life and just be, you know, 
blabbering and just like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Right. But he, when when they're complimenting you, it's like almost more awkward. Like, what do I say to that? Right. <laughs> right. Just say you should. What? <laughs> That'd actually be funny. That's you what, should. That's right. You should. Uh, what did you say? Do you remember? Uh, you know what? At that point, also being one fifth with the band, Adam was kind of the mouthpiece for us. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was easier to kind of hang back and just wait for Adam to say something. And, yeah. Uh, even though Adam was was not, I guess, the most. Uh, he had his own social awkwardness as a, as a teenager growing up. At that point, he was coming into his own a bit more. So I guess he was capable of handling it. But I, I have to imagine it was an uncomfortable position position for him to be in at times like that. Yeah, you kind of elbow in the room and say, say something, damn it. Brian Dusick, yeah, exactly. founding drummer, Maroon 5. So you grew up with Adam, you're friends with Adam Levine, you start a band, and then, you know, for one reason or another, uh, Adam feels like you shouldn't be in the band. Like, how did that, uh, that had to be tough. And how did that happen? Yeah, it was brutal. Well, you know, we were brothers. We had been in a band together for over a decade. Adam and I were little kids when we met. And um, and nobody wanted this to, to go down the way that it did. Um, and we tried, you know, for like a year and a half for me to be figure out what was going on because we all thought it was something physical that could be fixed. Um, in terms of the joint problems and the nerve problems. And so what, were I you missing beats? It. You were not drumming up to par? Yeah, well, it broke down over time. It wasn't something that happened all, all at once. It was just it was a, a, an evolution over a matter of a few years, whereas, um, you know, we had always been a really good live band. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I'd start missing beats, or uh, I was just, like, exhausted and, and like, couldn't keep up. Like, the, yeah. the pace was getting slower, and... And my mechanics were getting really contorted because I was trying to play through pain and trying to, you know, stay, uh, you know, just get through another set, even though I didn't feel up to it. And then it just got to the point where I really couldn't. It was a coordination issue. I just couldn't really play the drums the way that I used to. And then we were going to go into the studio to make the, the follow-up album to, to songs about Jane. Um, and Adam basically said to me, look, uh, you know, I'm just really worried. We, you haven't really figured out what's wrong or fixed it yet. Even if we can get through this album, uh, you know, and you can play the we have a tour the studio, coming. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna, yeah, we're yeah, we're gonna have another world tour book, and then what are we gonna do when we have to cancel it? You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so that that's a it. tough day. So did he do it personally? Yeah, the guy come over and say, "Would you like to be fired by?" <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a band meeting. Uh, I appreciated that. You know, it was just the just it, there was no management or anything. It was just the five members of the band. Um, and we were we were recording demos at the time at the Houdini Mansion in Laurel Canyon. Wow, wow, uh, cool. I don't know if you know that uh, Chili Peppers movie Funky Monks, where they recorded the the album Blood Sugar Sex Magic in that big like old estate in Laurel yes. Canyon. That's the Houdini Mansion. So we we were in there, and it was a beautiful venue. We were in the uh, the dining room, which any other time in my life would have been awesome, but uh, it was the worst worst day of my life at that point. Um, and it was, you know, devastating to me because it was everything I'd been working towards for since I was sixteen. Uh, I was now twenty eight, and uh, I wasn't just losing my career that I built; I was losing my whole sort of identity. Because it was every everything that was my self definition. It was my confidence, my self esteem, and um, and also just my whole social world. You know, these guys were my best friends. All of our friends were kind of 
um, centered around that band and what we were doing. So I, I really didn't know who I was at that point. I had to walk away and, and figure out who I was going to be. Brutal. Damn, man. You go from being the drummer of Maroon 5 no to anywhere. just unemployed. Yeah. 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 And it was tough. I mean, I, I spent, you know, I went through different stages I because I it was really a grieving process that I went through having to figure out how to move on with my life and find some closure. And, uh, you know, I was angry. I was angry at the band. I was angry at myself. I was in denial. But you I also went couldn't all turn on a radio without hearing Maroon 5. Like, they were, you yeah. couldn't escape right. them. That's when it's easy listening station, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they were omnipresent at that point in my life. And, of course, they went on to even more success after that. And I was trying to be a, a producer and songwriter and trying, you know, comparing everything I was doing to what they were doing and what we had already done. So it made it really difficult to, to sort of close the page on that chapter of my life. And so my coping mechanism really became alcohol more and more at that point in my life because it was just the only way that I could numb sort of the pain and, and escape and deal with all of the anxiety and depression that I had been feeling uh, before all of that, but obviously reaching a point that was unmanageable at that point. Well, I love it. We mentioned a few of the celebrities that are in this book, the celebrity encounters yeah. and stories and people you've affected, but also the uh, the rise out of this fall is uh, a great part of the book as well. Yep. It's the inspiring. most amazing part and inspiring. Yep. And Paris Hilton and all kinds of uh, other celebrities mentioned. It's a great book. Yeah, I mean, cool. I think it's a, I think it got a, like a mini series here. I hope someone finds <laughs> they it. They should. I would love to see it. Um, but I'm glad you made it out, man. Yeah. Good for you. Not easy. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate that a lot. It was uh, it was hard fought, and when I you know started recovery in 2016, I really didn't know uh, what where my life would take me and where I was going. I just knew that if I kept going the way I was going, that it was going to keep getting worse until I died. So, you know, just turning around and walking in the other direction was was terrifying. I'm trying to do time. that with food right now. Right. <laughs> Not easy. Well, that's. No, it's not easy, and and all of the you know the ways in which we cope with our uh, with our pain or or other challenges that we're kind of avoiding or running away from, it's never easy to to face them head on. Uh, but you know, essentially, you, there's no way through it other than through it, and that's what I had to do. But it was the most fulfilling thing I've done in my life, including all the stuff I did back when I was in the band. You know, now I'm getting to. Um, do everything with a clear head, and I'm I'm helping people. I'm a therapist. I'm a mental health advocate. I've got this book out, Harder to Breathe, that that I'm getting a lot of great feedback in terms of it touching people in, in a really positive way. So the things that I'm doing now, even though it's not on the scale of Maroon Five, it's just uh, it, it's got this added element of being of service, which is like I think it's more so important. Fulfilling on it. Yeah, the fame might not be yeah. there, but just more important work. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, obviously. Entertaining people is great work, too, and I enjoyed that, and I, I appreciate, um, you know, what they're doing still so much. Just when I go see them perform, I'm so proud of them at this point. There's nothing but gratitude, you know, and, and just being being proud of what we what we accomplished and what they're continuing to accomplish. But, but for me, you know, the loss of all that led to something possibly even more profound and more meaningful to me. Well, great to talk to you. We'd yeah. love to have you back. Ryan Dusick. Uh, thank you. We're linked up to uh, all things you and this book, Harder to Breathe, on the radio station website. Congratulations, man. Yeah. Well done. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank anytime. you. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. 
This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit